Called it loon shit. It's just that freaking greasy top layer on those northern roads. But I froze my bag off. Like I had every piece of clothes on inside my hey guys welcome back to another show come out heavy podcast i'm curtis i'm here with devin Today we got a fucking wicked show for you guys. Uh, we've been after this guy for a while, and uh, as soon as we came out, he messaged us right away. He's a good old northern boy, and uh, throw it to you now, Dev. Pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. hey everyone. It's uh, great to get uh, Tanner Danish on from, from Frontiersman Gear. So a lot of uh, anyone who's been following us or following any BC industry, small business, Probably has heard of Frontiersman Gear. Um, Kurt and I were following Frontiersman Gear before the podcast. Didn't really know a lot about it, but just through social media networks and talking with Tanner over the last, I don't know, few months, the whole whole time, really, he reached out and just giving us like props for, you know, keeping it real and loving the show and then the feedback back and forth. It's been fun to chat on, on social media and it was a, a lot of fun to get him on and chat in real life yeah like you know we chatted for probably half an hour before we started recording and at least an hour after we were done recording like he's just he's one of the boys he definitely gets after it um it's kind of yeah he's he's building some fucking pretty unreal stuff out of prince george and he puts his money where his mouth is on all of his knives he guarantees them and it's pretty cool to see a guy like that just you know, just him doing what he does, and you can see it's just a real passion for the guy. Yeah, and make sure you, if you don't listen to the whole episode because you're tired of listening to us assholes sometimes, then I'll tell you now, make sure you check him out on Instagram, Frontiersman Gear, and he's got a great website for all his products. That's frontiersmangear.ca, and it's Tanner Danish. I think it's a, a bit of a one-man show right now, but he's, fuck, he's working hard, and his stuff's incredible, so we're, we're really excited to chat about everything he's doing and also dive into some, some good hunting topics with him, too. It's not just about knives on this one. No, he definitely gets after it, and we dive deep into uh, elk hunting. That's kind of his passion, and, you know, it's definitely our mine and Devin's as well, so a um, lot in common with the guy, and it's, it's awesome. We're excited about this one. All right, well, without further ado, we'll send it over to our interview with Tanner. All right, Tanner, welcome to Come Out Heavy, and uh, we appreciate you taking time out of what we suspect is a very busy, busy schedule for you this time of year. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's uh, a little bit of chaos, but that's okay. Yeah, we've been chatting with Tanner on and off for the last 
I don't know, probably since we kind of got going. I was following you before we started this podcast and, you know, always liked kind of the shit that you were building and whatnot. And I know, Devin, you've tried building a couple knives back in the day, but the stuff you're building is pretty cool. And um, like I said, we've been chatting back and forth, so it's finally good to put a face to the, the conversation, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's nice to be able to uh, not really shake hands, but at least kind of, like you said, put a face to it. Talk to a few people on social media and you're just like, you know, you talk to them quite a bit. And you build a bit of a relationship up. And you're like, oh, God, I don't even know who this person is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think I was also following Frontiersman before and you reached out to us after a few episodes and said like, fuck love hearing from some good old boys like keep it up like love the no bullshit fucking way you guys are handling shit and then from then on i think we've had multiple conversations about knives and elk and and different things and honestly before we started talking i don't even think i realized how close to home frontiersman gear really was i just thought it was just like cool knife maker somewhere and then when we started talking to for you to be right in the prince george area that was that was wicked to find that out too yeah, that's, uh, that was a big thing for me is I just wanted to try and, uh, you know, produce the best quality products possible from like a small, small place and just show that like, you see lots in the US, like small companies that are out of small towns doing some really awesome stuff, but it just disappears up here. Like, I don't know, I don't really understand it sometimes, but it's, uh, it's a big thing for us to try and just showcase small businesses and do everything we can uh, from, you know, right here in Prince George is where we are right now. So it's, uh, I guess you call it the Northern hub, but it's still pretty small compared to most places. <laughs> yeah. That's the city of where we're from. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> yeah, same. Like, um, I grew up most of my life in Dawson Creek. And I mean, that was like, we lived like 20, 20 kilometers of Dawson. So we didn't go into town very often. So, you know, Dawson was town. So this is like a city, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard a bit of your backstory before. Uh, can you fill us in on like kind of your journey to Prince George? From my understanding, you grew up in a pretty remote area. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of uh, small as you can get, really. Uh, and still call it a town and not just a hut. Um, yeah, so my mom and dad, they they went up to Norman Wells at a pretty young age. And then uh, they got together and had my brother and myself. So we grew up up there just kind of for the start of our life. Um, and yeah, it's normal. It's pretty, pretty much as small as you can get at the time. It was, it was, they called it a boom, but it was only 600 people were in the town at the time. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I kind of, the first years of my lives were there kind of just, you know, learning a wall, like kind of just that stage of it. And then we moved down to Dawson Creek and my, uh, and my mom and dad bought a farm down there. And then that's kind of what I call home is there in Dawson. And then um, I went, I joined the military when I was, uh, I guess I was 17 or 18. I, I joined the army. I dropped out of school a few years before that and got into the oil patch and then jumped in the army. And when I got out, I kind of just started drifting. Like I ended up in Grand Prairie with uh, my girlfriend who I'm still still with now and uh so i kind of just 
chased after her there and then was just doing the normal oil field work, <laughs> moving rigs, kind of, you know, not really caring where I ended up. Right. And then, um, she started going to school for the nursing thing. We went down to Kamloops. We were there for a year and a half and I realized how much I hated sagebrush and I, uh, like chasing elk. So we had to go somewhere. We either had to go farther South or farther North. So, uh, we ended up here kind of a nice halfway in between place. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's good. So, like, I guess just simple question. How did you start making knives? And have you always been into something like this, or did it come later in life? Um, <laughs> uh, one of my mom and dad's uh, neighbors, uh, the guy's name is Ken. He was a conservation officer, but he, he's been making knives for, like, well, now it's been about 40 years, but he was making knives back then. And then so when we ended up in Dawson Creek, uh, they were there also, and they were actually just down the road. So it was just one weekend we ended up getting kind of drugged into the shop by Ken and my brother and myself. He was like, well, let's just build a knife. Let's have some fun. And we actually made a couple of pretty, pretty nice, nice knives. I was 10 years old. And, yeah, it was lots of fun. Just he he's uh, one of those guys who just – uh, yeah, it's pretty rare to come across when they understand, uh, I guess, an art so well. Like they just, he totally understood every step of it and could break it all down for, you know, a couple pretty stupid kids, right? And uh, get them on a grinder without ripping their fingers off. So uh, yeah, I built my first knife when I was 10 with Ken and then, and then it just drifted off, man. I never touched it again. I thought lots about it and obviously I was, I was hunting. So I had that knife on me and, but it, it never really popped back into my head at all. I was all about, you know, money and the rigs and move, uh, moving drilling rigs and running crane and stuff like that. And it was all, it just never even popped back into my head. And we ended up down in Kamloops. I was just doing some construction stuff and uh, Ken and Lois, they were down there in Ashcroft. So I, we swung out there once and brought a bottle of whiskey and, uh, kind of just went to go bullshit with them and I just I don't know I guess I just fell back in love with it like seeing it again and seeing all the cool stuff he was making and I mean at that point his basically his eyes are gone he can't really do it anymore he's got the shakes and his hands are all messed up and I asked if he had taught anybody and he's like oh no I he doesn't have any kids and he's like oh no whatever no one ever came around this or that. So I asked if he'd be willing to teach me kind of do an apprenticeship thing. And he shut it down pretty quick. It was like, nope, no, nope, it's not, not something I want to do this or that. Like just pretty old boy living out in the bush kind of thing. And, but by the end of it and giving him that bottle of whiskey, I convinced him to uh, let me come back out for apprenticeship. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And then it was like, it was eight months of going out there every weekend spend Saturday, Sunday out there building knives and kind of going through learning the ropes. And he broke everything down from the beginning, like how to, how to blacksmith, what steel is all the way up to like, frick, he had us like, he had me uh, like milling pins out and just like the most small task, but just so he, I understood like every step of the process kind of thing. It was a, it was really a full like schooling process, apprenticeship and I just picked it back up and loved it and uh, just kind of been obsessed since then and have never let it go. That's I think awesome. you're like, 
yeah that's that's fucking wicked and i think you're like a lot of us guys like yeah we carry knives we love swinging axes we fucking just love the feel of that steel and you watch those shows like forged in fire and you see those things and like every one of us is like oh i could do that like kurt yeah. i know is fucked around and tried to make a knife like there ain't a guy like a fucking, you know a hardcore hunter that i know that hasn't been like i can make a fucking knife so for you to yeah. be able to be taught it and now running with it as like your job is fucking impressive like dude i, I feel really lucky like honestly that well, like you just said, the amount of people that have tried making knives or have done it before, like the only reason I'm doing it, man, honestly, is because it can. Like I got 40 years of experience in eight months and he passed on all this stuff to me. Like there's so many lessons learned and mistakes and shit like that that I got to bypass. Like I feel kind of bad about it sometimes because, you know, I haven't really <laughs> been doing it that long. But it's like you talk to some guys and they're just starting and uh, it's just like you look at some of the mistakes that they're making and stuff like that. I love teaching people and trying to pass stuff on also, but it's just like, fuck, I feel really lucky. Like I got to pass all this bullshit that would piss me off and make me uh, stop doing it. But I got lucky. So I, I feel pretty uh, fortunate about it. No doubt. Devin was talking about the forge and fire when that came on. I was just loved that show. Like I had it on record and the old lady hated <laughs> yeah. it. I'm like, this is fucking cool. I'm like, how can I build a forge out of just scrap whatever fuck I got laying around the farm? And like, I fucked around. I didn't obviously build a forge, but I wanted to, but I made some shitty knife out of a processor blade. And all I did was trace one out, <laughs> cut it out, put an edge on it. <laughs> fucking. Yeah. And I'm like, it is a lot fucking harder than you think. That's for sure. <laughs> but, well, and to make a good knife too. Like it's one thing to just make a piece of steel, cut something. It's another thing to do what, tanner does and make a piece of steel last and be like and as nice as you make them too like fuck the shit you put on i'm like man those things are it's impressive i mean you do a really good job and i haven't held one actually like i've never seen one yet um but the ideas you're coming up with i mean i thought you know you reached out to me it was me you were talking to there for a bit on instagram first and you kind of reached out and asked a question like what would you prefer for a a length of a, a boning knife like do you what do you how do you break your elk down when you pack them out and i it was really funny tanner kind of says like what would your be preferred length and i was like oh fuck that's a that's a tough question so i literally grabbed a knife that i prefer at home when i'm you know boning a leg out that i've hung in my shop and i kind of measured it and then i kind of added and i was like oh, i don't know like five and a half inches and i'm pretty sure tanner's like perfect i was going with or I said five to six inches and Tanner was like, yeah, I'm making it at five and a half. And I'm like, okay, well, sounds like you yeah. nailed it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, man. Like, I just don't want to, the big thing for me is there's, there's no point in me just flooding the market with more crap, right? Like uh, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do something that's different. That's not out there yet, or else do it the best that I can. Right. So I'm uh, pretty hard headed about stuff. And I guess it's a good, it's a good uh, trade to, trade to have in this, in this sector because there's a lot of people making knives but i don't i don't think some people are as uh hard on themselves maybe because man there's a lot of stuff that i make them like uh, nope not good enough and people are like oh what and i'm like ripping the handles back off of it and they're like oh my god what are you doing but i'm just yeah but hard that goes man. a long way and people seeing the quality and and all that so um so. <laughs> that's like i like a, a quality over quantity 
Like you, you know, people yeah. don't mind spending more money on something that's going to last them a fucking lifetime. Right. Like that's, yeah. I don't know how many cheap knives I've bought over the years. And if you lose them, you're like, well, fuck whatever. Like it was 20 bucks or 30 bucks or, you know, I've put them through the dryer or the ringer and back a few of them and they come back in pieces. But like, if you have a good quality knife, you're going to look after that fucking thing. And you're going to have it a long time. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, for myself, I, as a hunter, um, and that's the other thing is I, I think a lot of guys that are making knives, maybe they're not hunters or like, like a lot of stuff, right? Like, um, but I understand what you're going to put this stuff through and maybe on, you know, if you're truck hunting and you just shoot the odd white tailed deer and you whip it up and throw it in the back of your truck or whatever, it doesn't matter. But for dudes that are doing backcountry hunts and they're going after caribou or moose or sheep or something like that, if, if your knife is shit or if it breaks or something like that, like your life could be on the line with it, or it could ruin the whole hunt. You could be totally screwed out there. So I, I feel like that side of it, I, I kind of feel good where I'm coming at it from the side as a hunter to understand what actually needs to be done and trying to make those changes to it also. Cause I mean, I did the same thing, man. It's like, walking around with an old school buck knife or like something like that is heavy and it's a piece of shit and it fumbles around but it's just like it doesn't you don't think any any different of it right so well i don't think you really know a good quality knife till you've had one in your hands like i've same way i've, I've had the I still have them. I'm not going to throw them away, but i have like some shitty outdoor edge ones they're like 40 dollar fucking knives because i didn't want to lose it like i felt like i wasn't going to be responsible enough to buy i'm I'm, like that's where it stopped me like i'm like i'm okay with spending money on good quality shit like all of us we're sheep hunters we're elk hunters we buy optics we buy the shit to get the job done but i'm scared to lose something that nice and then you know coming from you you kind of said it before the bullshit in the industry is like people just lying and and not being true to it i think that must be going a long way for you you seem super genuine and and you're you would just want to do a good job and, and I follow you on Instagram and then see a lot of your, I'm sure it's hard to do not like all those stories you do and you really talk to your, your followers. I'm sure it's tough, but man, it's, I think it goes a long way. And I think in this day and age, especially people are going to start respecting that even more and that I wouldn't change that at all. No, I appreciate that. It's, it's a big thing for me too. And I mean, I, I only have so much time also. Right. So, I mean, like I was saying, I, I spend most of September chasing elk, but, and then if I can, I try and do whatever I can to fit in that time, like a goat hunt on either end of that, or maybe like I want to get more sheep hunting and stuff like that. But I still only have so much time and my experiences are going to be different than everybody else's. So I, that was like one big thing that I found was when I did that mountain series, the ultralights and the first batch went out, there was like a couple things that I had like multiple people that are like, Hey, like doesn't matter too much but this is something i might change and it was like absolutely like i'm that's the glory of me being at the head of it where i can just go back in change some designs you know make a finger guard longer a different part of that handle i can change it around to where it's super comfortable and you know i'm not too proud to say that something might not be perfect right like i i'm on version well version three of these ultralights now right and i'm going to keep changing them because i want them to be perfect so yeah it's um it it is tough though man like it's you see so many of these companies that 
you know, they have like a marketing director or else they're like hiring somebody to run all their like social media PR stuff. And they blow up on social media, like Instagram, Facebook, they just absolutely explode. And, you know, it kind of does correlate to sales and stuff like that. But it's like, well, just because you know how to get followers on Instagram doesn't mean they're making genuinely the best product they can. Right. So it's, (laughs) it's tough, man. (laughs) It's really tough. Uh, There's a lot of times that I'm grinding a knife and my phone's going off and it's like trying to answer a call and finish off a knife and my freaking fingertips are burning off. I'm like, ah, fuck, what the hell? Like, what am I doing this for? But it's all worth it, man. It's awesome. Well, I I definitely get where you're coming from there. Like, even, I mean, you're running your own business. You're super successful. We're just having this shitty little podcast and, you know, we're, we're not marketing experts or video audio fucking experts. Like, we we limp our way through this and you know if if we could afford a marketing team fuck we'd be all for it and (laughs) maybe an editor or two but no man what you're doing is fucking awesome it's and like every time you you post something like we love sharing it because fuck it's cool and it's a local guy like you know you're from that caribou country right like i guess prince isn't in the caribou but it's fucking pretty much it is so yeah. Um, I love supporting small businesses like that and, you know, local guys. And there's not too many guys up in the north that got a presence like you. And uh, it's definitely good to see. Yeah. No, really I good. appreciate it. I mean, I, man, it's, and that's what it's all about, right? Like, I mean, if, if there wasn't people like you guys that do little shares and stuff like that, like, you know, a page just disappears. It doesn't really go anywhere. I can make all the posts in the world, but if nobody sees it, it doesn't do anything, right? So, I'm so appreciative of literally everybody, whether it's, you know, comment or share or anything like that. And I really like from the beginning, like, yeah, I was kind of following you guys from the beginning and it's so refreshing to see people that uh, they're not scared to say their mind, right? Like it's where the industry is so filtered and, and just like has a roof over it where nobody wants to swear and nobody wants to piss anybody else or else off or like, throw some brand under the boat right but it's so i mean as soon as i listen to you guys first podcast i was like yeah these, these are these are good guys i like this a little rough around the edges <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can do this yeah. Yeah. well going back to your knives what uh, i got a question for you what uh, sets your knives apart from say another higher end knife builder or is there anything different or is it just the passion that goes into them from other high-end knife makers like uh, like no bullshit there's a lot of great knife makers down in the states i i don't know if many guys making good quality hunting knives up here um to, to be completely honest like high quality ones there's lots of knife makers but i, I think there's another tier that you kind of have to make that jump over and it's just qual like uh, quality of materials and then time that you're putting into it but like no bullshit there's a lot of great knife makers down in the states i think the big thing that i try and really focus on is that like i said before i am a hunter i understand how these knives are getting used and and the big thing for me is that i take a lot of steps that um require a lot more time to make sure that that blade lasts a lifetime like i'm uh whether it's you know hidden pins inside of the side of the tang that will literally never be seen or like you know, milling pockets out inside of like a full tang knife, milling out pockets to make sure epoxy breaches on both sides. And then 
testing all that stuff out and hand sharpening every blade. Every blade's hand sharpened on a whetstone here and, and shaved on my arm. That's why I usually don't have any hair on my arm. Like it's, <laughs> it's little steps like that that are huge for me to make sure that like, A, you can rely on that knife and B, it's going to last you your whole lifetime so you can pass it down to your kid because like, nope, it, it, I, I'm not... I'm not oblivious to it. I understand that my products cost quite a bit of quite a bit of money and substantially more than, you know, a knife from Canadian Tire or something like that, but it's an investment like a rifle or anything else where yeah, you're going to pass it down to your kid and he's going to see that the heritage piece that his dad used and, you know, cut up some moose with and has a story to it. So it's just the the lasting factor that I think I try and really focus on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that speak for itself, and the the quality you're seeing on a lot of your stuff, it seems really good. Um, since you're a hunter, and that's it's nice to it's refreshing to hear that that it's a hunter building blades for hunters. In your opinion, is there can you carry one knife that does like <clears throat> all your needs for big game in BC, or do you pack like multiple knives for different hunts? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I think. Um... Like my opinion is, is that like a small caping knife, if it's built properly and you carry a sharpener with you, which I try and push everybody to do, you should be carrying a small lightweight sharpening stone with you. Um, you should be able to process anything with it. Like my, that last bull, that last bull elk that I shot, shot, I processed the whole thing with one of those ultralight links blades. And I mean the whole process, deboning it, the knuckles, caping, everything. It's, um... I think guys kind of get overgunned, to be honest, in the same way that you do with a rifle. You do with a knife where you think, okay, I'm going to be skinning a moose out. I'm going to need a freaking five-inch big Bowie knife or some shit like that. But it's not the truth to it. Like, yeah, you're going to have to touch that blade up because there's less cutting edge there. So, you know, that two and a half inches of cutting edge is going to be taking all of the force. But, you know, you just take a couple minutes and touch it up throughout the process and and you know it's way less weight you're not losing shit because you're going back and forth with some big knife to some small knife um that's really my opinion of it is that a small caping knife you can process probably anything in north america with uh the only thing is maybe if you're if you're tackling bison you might want to look at bringing uh bring a big skin skinning knife in but other than that man yeah you don't need anything else and is that you think that's the same for caping out the the fine skin on a sheep's face? You think that Absolutely. same knife is okay? Absolutely, because because like a small small uh, blade, like you know a two to two and a half inch caping knife, whether it's like for us, it's like that lynx blade for our ultralights, or else like an Obis blade or something like that. And you have that sharpening stone, all you can just process that whole animal, and when you get to the caping part you just really focus on sharpening up that tip. And then the big thing is you can suck up on that blade with your hand to where wherever your index finger is, you just have that right at the tip and you're kind of just working away at it. Um, and that, that's the big thing for me is it's going to be just as sharp. It's going to be a scalpel. It's no different than, um, than a replaceable blade knife. You just, you have more strength to the blade than a replaceable blade where you might snap it or something like that. If you get yeah. into a bad position, oh, I've fucking snapped a million of those fucking replaceable blades, man. And then you're looking for it. 
and then you're like especially like doing moose or something like that and you break one yeah. off and your elbows deep inside that thing and you're like got a razor blade floating around inside here somewhere like yeah. guys can get fucked up pretty fast with that Dude, that's, that's exactly why I actually built my uh, mountain series of blades because I was using uh, I was using a replaceable blade knife and I was working inside of an elk and I was getting that high quarter off so low. So I'm like pushing up on and like in there in the socket trying to just get that last little stuff in there and snap the blade off like you said. So of course like out of water, no food, it's like hot out, right? So you're like trying to find this blade and you're all messed up and just jacked up and it's like, oh, well, I can't find it. So I like put a new blade on, lift, lifted the hind quarter up and like step, stuck my hand in there and that blade cut my finger wide open. It was so deep. And I was just like, fuck, oh, well, found fuck, it. It's got to be something a little better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sure you uh, probably don't own a replaceable blade knife anymore. Can't say I do, man. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah I, I, I try not to knock them because I mean, That's okay. everybody's you got their own them. thing. Fuck it. Oh, I know. Like everybody <laughs> likes their own stuff, right? Um, I, I think, I think unless you're a taxidermist where you're at home working on a cape or something like that, and you know you can uh, easily replace the blade, put it away, put it in the garbage, wrap it up. I don't think that there's a place for them, if I'm being completely honest. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, I have it, like Kurt said, I fucking hated changing them. I I feel more comfortable packing a Leatherman just to change my goddamn replacement plates (laughs) on my fucking Havlon because it scares the shit out of me to hold those fucking things and twist them in. A little bit of blood on your fingers too, and you're like, one slip, you're fucked. Uh, You touched on it a bit. I was going to ask you what your go-to for edge touch-up on a good knife in the field is. Like, what do you pack? Uh, I see a lot of things online where it's leather stropping. I haven't really touched on that myself. I'm looking at it maybe this year. But what is? what do you think? Um, um, WorkSharp makes a great sharpener. It's called the Pocket Knife Sharpener. Uh, they have two of them. The, the one that I'm talking about, it's about, I think it's like 20 or 25 bucks on Amazon. It's super lightweight. It's got a... Uh, ceramic rod on the one side and diamond plate on the other dude and they're super light super cheap and they're so easy to use because they've got an angle guide on them and that's that's all i would recommend to somebody is just that and then yeah you can absolutely strop your blade but like what people a lot of people don't realize is that like, you can strap just as easy or you can strop it just as easily on like canvas or uh leather frick you can strop on cardboard or anything right because all you're trying to do when in that stropping process is after you've refined the burr on an edge you're just trying to pull it off really easily so like what i'll do is i'll carry that work sharp pocket knife sharpener i'll touch that edge up to where i can feel there's a little bit of a burr back and i've got some teeth on that blade again and then i'll just i i carry it i just have a leather belt on and i just back strop against that leather belt doesn't even need to be perfectly flat just as long as there's contact and I can feel there's no no burr left on there and you're good to go you can strop on you know the sh- just pull backwards on the shoulder strap of your of your pack if you want try not to push down and you might cut your strap in half yeah <laughs> that'd be a shitty <laughs> I don't pack want to do that. <laughs> that would yeah yeah holding on to the one side yeah might not be so fun I kind of like that you break it down to fucking the regular guy like 
you're honestly i was literally looking this up the other day like and i saw stropping and i saw this thing and you watch these videos about stropping your knife and like it's kind of refreshing to have someone with the experience of handling a knife come out and say like fucking if you want to strop it strop it on the fucking back side of your canvas bag use this like that's good that's yeah. good info for people to know like stop fucking making a mountain out of a molehill here like let's just fucking take that burr off the knife and go back to it exactly it's 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 really not complicated there's no point diving into it or anything like that it's problem is internet forums and shit like that people have way too much time they're sitting there <laughs> arguing with each other about stuff that makes no sense right like yeah uh, it's uh it's aggravating sometimes but i mean it is what it is we know a couple of those keyboard warriors that are deep in the forums and yeah. fucking yeah argue about yeah. everything oh dude uh, and the biggest pet peeve that i have is about like knife knife steel it's like the biggest you go on every like blade form knife form or anything like that oh no like s35 vn is the only steel i'd ever use and the other dude's like oh no that's shit and you know m390 is the best and then someone else is talking about this and you know xz2 whatever like some alien steel right and it's like you know what unless a dude's sitting there like how these guys do it is say they sharpen it like crazy and they're sitting there with a piece of paper and they cut that piece of paper and it'll be like 3,000 times, and they'll be like, oh, I got 3,200 out of this knife, though, and only 3,100 out of that one. That's shit steel. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, that's all cool, but then you go out in the field, and you're, you know, quartering an elk, and you're sitting there, you're not paying attention, you're scraping against the bone, and you're just hacking against this thing. It's like, I don't care what you have. That's going to dull that knife. Like, yeah. Fucking moose hide. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Or that... You know that elk that pissed all over himself and you now you're cutting through it and or you rolled in mud right like there's no super steel that's going to cut through mud and be fine like come on you guys it doesn't matter right they sound like the six five cream or fucking forums <laughs> Dude, exactly yeah it's Good. you're arguing about nothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> before we jump off of uh, knives, we'll touch a little bit more on it, and then we're going to move into some hunting and some other stuff. Uh, I resharpen my knives, and a lot of guys do with one of those simple Lansky uh, set angle sharpeners, ceramic stones. Is that, for your opinion, guy like you, the, and a guy like me that just has a, you know, a garage full of tools? I don't have fancy. And I'm not very good with a whetstone, like just the whetstone to hold that angle. Is that a good way to sharpen knives? I mean, I find I get a pretty good edge from it. Is that you'd recommend or is there a special use for these knives? Uh, Lansky's good. Honestly, it's, um, it, if somebody really cares and like, you know, is, is that the younger years of their hunting career? You know, like, they, you know, they're in their thirties and, you know, uh, like mid thirties or something like that I really, really recommend just investing in, in like good spray and go stones. Um, it's the same ones I use and just spend some time and understand how to sharpen your knife. And it'll just make a lot more sense, even in like using it and everything like that. For a guy that doesn't have time with it, I understand like, you know, not everybody has time to do that shit. Not everybody has time to reload all their bullets or you know, all, all this other shit. If you don't have time for it, absolutely. A Lansky system is good. Uh, the one thing I'd say is 
just don't don't get drunk and get really heavy handed on that thing because you'll wear that knife down so quick. And next thing you know, you've got half the blade profile and you've got this weird ass, you know, sway to the blade. Just, um, if you're going to use a Lansky system, just try and stay sober and don't listen to music and just really look at what you're doing and pay attention to it. Listen to metal and start leaning on it. Eh? Bend in the rock. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, so pro pro tip of the podcast, don't get drunk and sharpen your highly sharp knives. Yeah, but, don't do that. Uh Devin's dad, Gare Bear there, he used to remember his wet stone out at hunting camp. Oh yeah. He yeah. well, talk dipping into some whiskey there. <laughs> He'd be <laughs> fucking hours and just lathering that thing up, right? And like you said, that fucking knife was about that fucking thick by the end of hunting season. <laughs> he yeah, still got serious. that knife though. Oh, that nice, <laughs> that's the original old timer with the original U.S. charade steel in it, the double blade. Yeah, you can't yeah. find it like that anymore. It's China steel in those old timers now. That knife, yeah. man, I love that old knife. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, I, I this guy sent this knife and I rebuffed it and just like cleaned it up and looking at it, and I had to pull up old pictures and look at like the same model and what it looked like originally. Probably half the size that it used to be, right? Like it goes from a skinning knife to a flying knife pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny what whiskey will do to things, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah whiskey exactly. or a lot of time in your hands. Because I do enjoy sitting there watching hunting shows, you know, cracking a beer, sharpening knives. But, I mean, I got two kids running around and, and lots of shit on the go, like most people our age. And I just can't, fuck, I'm lucky to get my edge back on half the knives I own. Yeah. The, the other big thing too is like for all of all the knives I sell is like a lifetime sharpening, right? So I try and tell guys, you know, you buy a knife and, you know, just touch it up through the year. And at the end of the year, like come November, December, all, all I'm really looking for is like, I'll do, I'm doing the odd order in there still, but I'm just sharpening knives is all I'm doing. Get every, get everybody ready for another season. And that's, you know, it, cause the other thing is not everybody has time to un- learn it or understand it. So if you don't have time, just, try and keep it half-ass usable and then at the end of the year just send it back to me i'll get it back to where it should be because when it gets back to me it's like i i can do it really quick i can just touch it up it's like five ten minutes on the stones and i get an edge back on it again right so there's no point you struggling for days and messing it up or burning it out on some little belt new belt system or some crap a fucking bench grinder. <laughs> yeah. I also I read on your uh, a page there. You do lifetime warranty, so that covers fucking. You bend it over, you're gonna replace it. Absolutely. Like I mean, I there's only been one case I didn't that I didn't warranty a blade, and it was because a guy was trying to open a 50 gallon drum with it, and uh, <laughs> it was with a caping knife. So I. Uh, I had to take it into my own hands and decide not to warranty that one. But did he did he get into it? Pardon? Did he get into that fifty gallon drum? <laughs> I don't know. I saw the knife and it was sna- the blade was snapped right off of it. And, um, yeah, that's that's a rough one for me. But other yeah. than that, absolutely lifetime warranty. Like I don't care what you do to it; it should last. Like it, you shouldn't be able to ruin this fucking thing. Like it's all the handle material stabilized. The steel is the best quality steel that I have. The guard and bolster is all soldered on. It's epoxied. It's got like the highest grade epoxy you can put on this stuff. If it falls apart, I did something wrong. It's not anybody using it. That's that's fucking pretty awesome, man. Yeah, that, I like that. 
I, one question I got, um, I seen some of your leather sheaths that you got. Do you get those made? Do you do those yourself or like? I, I do, I do it all in house. Yeah. It's, Fuck. uh, it, every sheath is built around like each individual knife. So it's, uh, I can't really sub that project out. And I, I enjoy that side of it too. Um, so yeah, every sheath is completely custom and completely made to that blade right here by myself. That's fucking awesome, man. Good for you. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. My old man uh, really enjoys leather work. And now that he's getting into his retired age, he's got all, he bought like the kit even more. He used to make, well, he still does, but he made like saddlebags for all our horse trips and he's made sheaths and scabbards. He makes really nice scabbards for rifles that, that I still use nice. to this day. And yeah, it's, yeah. That's really cool to see that. I, I like that traditional type work. Yeah, yeah it, it's just all part of it for me. Like, I'm not, I, it's just, it seems so corny. And there's a lot of dudes that do it, but they just, they make the knife and they put, you know, they put tape on the blade or they put a little protector on the blade and they send it out. But it's like, well, what good is that, right? So it's, hmm. I feel pretty strongly that the, it needs to have a high quality sheath that will match the quality of the blade that's that's in it, right? definitely man it's kind of a dying breed too like quality like that like a lot of guys like you said they're, they're not doing it right so that's good for you dude that's awesome yeah that's sweet. No, i appreciate it it's uh just part of it for me there's no other way i would do it for sure <laughs> it's good to hear yeah. kurt you got any other knife questions i'm gonna jump into another topic here if you don't are you ever gonna go on forge and fire or what i <laughs> know <laughs> uh, I'll be cheering for you, man. <laughs> no, I, uh, I've heard horror stories, man. I just, I don't, it's not for me. <laughs> you know, the, the TV side of it is not for me for sure. Yeah. I'm okay with that. With yeah. Bit. yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's no. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I kind of wanted to hear your side of a few things happening in BC over the last couple months. Uh, I think you've heard our Loaded for Bear episode. I don't know if you have, but if you haven't, you yeah. should go over and listen to it. <laughs> no, I did, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to dig in. Well, we can dig into whatever the fuck you want here. But I really just kind of wanted to see, because what I thought was really cool is your branding, Wild Sheep Society BC stuff, uh, the cool logos etched on there. It looks like you're donating to the Wild Sheep Society of BC. So I assume you're probably a member of the Wild Sheep Society of BC or at least a supporter yeah. of them. And... I think you've been involved in this whole campaign and, and what we're trying to fight for as a hunter and what are you, how are you feeling about it? And you, you talk to a lot of guys in the industry. It seems like you've got a lot of connections going on. Like give us your thoughts on, on this whole movement in the last couple months here and, and kind of how you think we're handling it as hunters and what do you think we should be doing? Um, yeah, I, I try and support everywhere I can. Like that's, that's a big thing for me is, you know, I, I donate some of the yearly sales to it and to wild sheep and then to wounded warriors. But then big thing for me, obviously is, you know, the wildlife here in BC and here in Canada. So it's, it is pretty, uh, it's hard for me, especially seeing, seeing the bullshit that's going on and the narrative that gets played is really, really tough to see. Um, I think, and, and I might ruffle some feathers in saying this, which I, I really don't care to be honest, but it, I, I think 
as hunters, we have to make sure that we're standing like, like they, the anti-hunting side likes to lie about stuff. It seems like they like to exaggerate and kind of pull stories and shit like that. But we have to make sure we're not doing the same thing also. Cause I mean, the, the attacks that are coming in on hunting is based around predators and it's, it, it's a bullshit notion that needs to get stopped because we, we see it with the, with the grizzly bear hunt, you know, we, we all see how high the grizzly bear numbers are at now and what's happening with that. The amount, the more attacks that are happening every year, more people are, are dying from grizzly bear attacks. Everybody is seeing grizzly bears in the bush now. And I mean, it's, it, it's one thing for them to be trying to go after predators. It's, we have to make sure as hunters, when we're advocating uh, to the good side of what predator hunting means to us and stuff like that that we're not we're not exaggerating or making shit up to try and get them to stop also because then we're just as bad as them we're just doing it for a different reason mm-hmm. and i think i think it's really important i think if us as hunters if we follow the facts there's no there's no logical facts that can shut down the predator hunt it's completely emotionally based. There's no, it's not scientific or facts or anything like that. So as long as we stick to facts for fighting it, then we'll be in good shape. I, I think there's too many people that get too too emotional about it, and maybe they start fabricating some stuff, and it can come back and it can bite us in the ass really bad. And I really, really hope that doesn't happen because proper predator management needs to happen here in BC, and we, and and we can't fucking lose that. It doesn't matter. We just can't do it, right? So, I mean, it's tough for me. That's my rant. I'm over. Um, it's uh, That's very well said, man. No, it's That's, good. Uh, the scary part about exactly what you said is, like, we shouldn't embellish what's going on. We're fighting, in my mind, what I look at and what Kurt and I talk about and all the people we're talking we're fighting this uphill battle because we get guys going out there, and I don't need to name names and go down this rabbit hole, but you get guys that claim that they're hunters, and then on the same side, they claim that they're biologists, and then on the same side, they claim that they have all the science and all the details, and then they go out and say, the science is wrong, all the biologists are wrong, and our science is right, and you don't need to manage predators to help the ungulates. It's... I don't, no one has an answer for how you fight that fucking statement, but that's the kind of shit that gets spread around to the antis and to the non-hunters that don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And that's what scares me the most is like, and I, you don't have a, I, I don't expect you to have an answer for this. I just thought it would be nice to hear if you've seen that where it's just like, like you said, follow the science, the science works. It's been proven for years, but we're being told that science is wrong and from my thought is by a lie they're making it up he's lying that he's a hunter and he's lying that the science is wrong for that reason and like you said we can't go down to those levels but what if they're going down to those levels and it fucks us all over yeah i think i understand i definitely understand that and i mean it it's it's a tough side because you want to fight fire fire with fire. And I mean, the person behind all this is saying that they are a hunter and stuff like that. But, you know, we can't like, 
the the idea of basing management of the animals on an idea is never going to work because then it's just guesswork and then we're just guessing and checking along the way but along that way it could be completely disastrous for the ungulate population or wildlife in general or whatever it is like we have to base it on facts that we know that we can physically see and if we're just going off of well we don't think it'll work or we have to you would have to harvest 70 percent of predators to actually make a difference it's like well that's just it's just a fucking number that you're pulling out of your ass because that, that's never happened. We don't have anywhere that predators aren't being managed. So to say that it's 70% is bullshit because what you want to sit back and then not harvest wolves or cougars or anything like that. And we'll just see what happens. Well, yeah, you could be right, but it's very likely you could be wrong. And then we're all screwed from it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the repercussions are going to go a lot longer than just a couple of years of trial. It'll take 10 years to correct itself, right? It, exactly. And by that point, we're screwed, right? So, I mean, and, and I think a big part of all of this is that hunters are really our own worst enemy and the fact that we have such a bad PR issue with it. Like, Definitely. We're sitting here and, and you see it almost every day. Like, you look at the bad media that's happening and shit like that. It's from a dirty picture that shouldn't be posted or a hunter that doesn't understand ethics or something like that. And it, it's, it goes back to the same side of like, you know, knowledge and education and stuff like that is it, the biggest way to fight these issues and anything else, because having a bat, like we're destroying ourselves in this whole situation. And then people get so heated and so emotional about it. Like, it seems like, and I don't want to generalize or anything like that, but like the vegan anti-hunting uh, community, like, cause they are basically the same people fighting against hunters. Um, they're so emotionally driven about it. So if we can go into it without that emotion, just come into it with facts, we're in a good position, but we don't do that. You know, a hunter sitting out there in elk camp and he's half drunk and he's, you know, on Facebook saying some bullshit. And it's like, what good is that doing us like that's just it's just digging the hole deeper right like we're because they're really and that goes back to the same thing there's no argument if it's all science-based because they can't argue numbers it's you know if we just fight it on that side good to go it's pretty easy for non-hunters like not the antis but non-hunters to see a picture of some guy fucking covered in blood up to his elbows and you know laying on top of a fucking bear or something like that pretty easy to not like that or be distasteful Mm -hmm. and it's pretty fucking easy for a photographer to take a beautiful picture of a black bear in estuary and you know they're gonna see that be like well i like that better than the fucking dead one right and i'm guilty i've i've posted pictures of all kinds of stuff that i've killed and you know i'm kind of looking at it now where it's i don't get me wrong i ain't scared to post pictures of of whatever i harvest but I'm yeah. going to try to do it a little bit more tastefully where I'm not absolutely covered in blood and look like a fucking savage. Right. Exactly. And I mean, even just that etiquette side of it, like I I do understand where people are coming from, where they say, Oh, you know what? I shouldn't have to filter what I want to post. I should be able to post whatever I want. But it, when, when you're, and I don't want to get all freaking medieval about this, but when, when you're fighting against another body, you should try and portray it in the best light possible because 
at the end of the day, like it, it's not doing you any good. That bear that the tongue's hanging out of it and you're holding onto the ears and stuff like that. It's just like, even myself as a diehard hunter, I look at that and I'm just like, oh my God, I wince back at it, right? Like it's, yeah. if, it may, if it's making me do that, I can only imagine what's making that person down in Granville Island sipping on their martini. It was making them <laughs> feel like, right? Yeah. So I do, I, 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 I understand their position where they're coming from, but that education is the biggest side of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and to, for your average hunter to, to educate, I've done it myself with some of my family that, uh, they don't hunt and they had some facts. They thought that the grizzly bears were endangered. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. hold on. Let me hit you with some facts here. And they were blown away. They had no idea, but that's what they seen on the news. And that's what they heard was a bunch of propaganda and bullshit. So yeah. it's, yeah, I, I have a hard time cause I am kind of a fight fire with fire kind of guy where yeah. I'm like, fuck them. <laughs> You're going to get yeah. greasy. We're going to get fucking greasy. But <laughs> you know, it's, I know it's definitely not helping the fact either. No, and dude, I, I, I totally understand that side too. Like, I mean, I spent my time in the army and the infantry and I understand returning fire. Right. But I mean, it's not, <laughs> I, I want both of us to come out of here and not, and not just fucking a few of us to come out without bullet holes. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's tough, but on the same side, like it, it doesn't mean backing down and, and, you know, taking your back. Like, yeah. We don't have to do that. We just, we have to look at it from an education side it is my opinion of it but i mean Definitely. you know i didn't even fucking finish high school i'm kind of an idiot <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking to a couple tradesmen so it's all yeah. good man yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't finish high school and went to trade school i don't think we're that much fucking ahead so yeah three knuckle draggers <laughs> talking about education yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know still on that topic and we we talked about it on i don't know if it was the last I think it was the last podcast we did kind of that there's still a division of us hunters on this topic. And I don't know if you heard us kind of touch on that. I kind of wanted to know if you were seeing any of that in the North. I know Kurt sees it in Quinnell that most people are very supportive of the movement, the act now get out there, support the science-based research and all that. Is that, are you seeing that up in, in the PG country that most people are getting behind this movement? But hold on, I before you so. answer that, I gotta take a piss. So, <laughs> I've been holding it for a while. Okay. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I think that there's uh, th there is a huge amount of support for it. I, I think honestly, and again, uh, I'm gonna ruffle feathers, and I don't care. I think people. I think there's a majority of hunters that are fucking lazy and you know, it takes 10 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you can scroll Facebook for 25, 30 minutes, but, but you're too lazy to click on that link. And, and it's tough. It's tough for me because I think there is the support because anybody that you talk to that's into hunting and stuff like that is all behind it. But are they going to donate money? A lot of people don't. Are they going to just, sign that one slip a lot of people don't and i i don't <clears throat> i don't understand why i'd like to say that i do but i don't understand why i think that the support is there and anybody that you talk to whether they're uh pro hunting or maybe they're that 80 percent that's in between they totally understand it 
And if they actually look into it, they say, okay, this doesn't make much sense. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Like, I don't, there's no other way to manage predators at this point unless they come up with a different plan. So I'm all for it, right? But you try and convince them to get on their phone and sign that slip, they're not going to do it, right? And I, I don't know what the best way to bridge that 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 hurdle is. And I, I hope we can. And I mean, the only way is just to keep just freaking e-blast and get it out there and keep sharing that. And you got to freaking hammer that damn head of the nail so many times until they don't have a choice, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if it's like you said. Like, I agree with the. Me and Kurt have said that too. Like, got people are lazy by character. Most people don't have the time, or they just they're too lazy to care. Someone else will deal with it. Is always what you hear. Oh, someone else will fix that problem or whatever. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it's a little bit too. People are fucking scared to step up. They're scared to put their name on a slip. You know why? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out because I don't know where the numbers are at now. But a few weeks ago, a month ago. We were at 8,000 or some fucking thing. I was hoping that we'd be at like 20,000 in the first month. That was my mm-hmm. thought. But I, I, well, when you look at I the think it's of... more laziness. Like, sorry to cut you off, Tanner, but no, I think it's right. just people being fucking lazy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've got guide buddies that haven't fucking filled it out. Fuck. Right? Like, <laughs> and that's like, what, what do you mean you haven't done it yet? Like, fucking and, do it, man. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I'll get to it. Or I keep forgetting. Dude, I, I know you're scrolling on your phone while you're sitting on the crapper, right? And yeah, exactly. Come exactly. On. Yeah. Get get off freaking Angry Birds or whatever game that you're playing and freaking just fill out the damn form. Like, yeah. it's, tough. it's tough for me, man. Yeah, I get rattled just talking about it because it's when the grizzly bear shit, like, I, we were definitely underprepared for that, but it happened so, I wouldn't say so fast, but everyone just kind of sat back and like, Oh, they'll never do that. And now I'm like, I'm, I like the support that we're getting, but it's not even remotely close. It's an eighth of what it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's yeah. People need to start stepping up. And the excuse is like, I hear it all the time. Oh, well, you know, the the people on this side of it, they're all working and they're all busy and they're doing this and that. Well, it goes back to the same thing. That form is 30 seconds to fill out. There's no excuse. If you haven't filled it out yet, then that's completely on you. And and if it if this does go the direction that they've been trying to go for many years, like it's not like this is the first year that this issue has come up. If it goes that direction, you haven't done your your part in it. Like I don't know. I, I don't have I don't have anything to say about you're part of the problem in my mind. Yep. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Because no, it isn't. It, it's going to keep coming up every year. Like, at yeah. the end of the day, like, you look back every year before this, and there was always petitions. Like, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of people in these big cities that have nothing better to do, and those petitions are going to come in every year. So the more we can do to educate and build a base of people that understand what's going on, if we can pick away at that 80% that's in the center that doesn't understand, maybe, and they kind of float back and forth, the more people that we can pick away at that, the better position we're going to be every single year when when we have to um, just a- oppose the negative information that's coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think like the government should be stepping up and like it, it's lack of information for ninety percent of it? Like I don't know, but you guys, I fill out those questionnaires I get every year. 
Um, I know a lot of the guide outfitters, they fill out animal numbers and DNA and all that other shit that they're taking from their kills. But is the government, like they're getting this information from the biologists, but I don't really see it posted anywhere. Like for, I don't know about you, but for me, I think the government should be stepping up a little bit and they're, they're government employees that are getting paid to do this science stuff. But where's... Where is it being posted so people can actually read that? So we have some facts, right? Yeah, I, I think, and I think that goes. It, it, it's a more of a look into like where our society is now, where it's in a, a non-offensive, in, in, inclusive area, right? So it's where the majority is, and we're seeing all the time with all these different issues that the majority is always leaning a certain side or a certain direction, and, and the government isn't going to oppose that. Because yeah. as long as they have the majority, they're good, right? So, I mean, it's this isn't an anti-government or an anti-anything speech. It's just, like, it, it makes sense that whoever is in at the time is going to lean towards where the majority is. It just yeah. only makes sense that they want to get voted back in. That It, it makes sense. A, anybody else would do it. But it's just... So that goes back to the same spot. The more people that we can get in from the 80% to pull the majority on this side, the better position we're going to be in. Because as soon as we have the majority, then yeah, the government will talk about it. But yep. until we do, they won't. Of course they won't. Because yeah. they don't want to piss off the 80%. They're going to cut their own throats if they do, exactly. right? Yeah, well, yeah. I think that education side, uh, the societies the out there, like Wild Sheep Society, SCI, they have to get supported. Like I was chatting with someone from wild sheep recently reached out on Instagram and updated us that their fight. It's not just the act. Now they're putting pressure on the government to have committees that are built from people from the wild sheep society. There's going to be committees advocating for hunters. So if you're always wondering, like we've talked about this on our podcast, like, well, why would I give them $50 a year? What does that do for me? Well, if you're not going to sign the act now and you're not going to give them $50 a year, it's going to do worse for you than if you are. You're, mm -hmm. It's going to fuck you over. And then you're going to be like, oh, I wish that so-called, you know, wild sheep society would have done more. Well, you should have fucking helped them out when we asked you to. <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing. You know, yeah. it's going to be like that. That's, that's real. Oh, yeah. Like people are thinking like that. And, and I, th I think a big part, which is like a really big plan for the next couple of years to like a, a whole storefront and shop and stuff like that and trying to get people involved in it. But I think that's a big part of it also is like trying to get people involved in it because if we can create a community about it, people in a community, they, they have more of a tie to it and they feel more responsible for what happens. But if they're just, if they're just using the resource, but they're not really tied into it, you know, like they go out hunting, you know, a weekend here, a week there, but then they go back to their normal job. They're not going to, they're not going to a 3d shoot. They're not going to anything else. They, they don't really have a tie to it. I can't blame them because they don't, Maybe they, they just see what's on Instagram or Facebook and nothing else. But ha building that community up is a really big thing for me where you can tie more people into it and, and engage with more people and understand the whole nuance of what is going on and what hunting actually means more than just your weekend trip where you get to go drink beers and, you know, maybe shoot a moose off the road that 
those people are going to be more engaged with what's happening and there's going to be a hell of a lot more signatures on these petitions but it's it's more than just going to the government about it it's it's every single person in a small remote community and stuff like that they're they're people that are very pro hunting but they don't feel a tie to it and we just got to build that tie into it and just tie everybody together build a community and i think uh, i think we'd have a lot more support than we do now i think that's uh that was well put <clears throat> nice definitely well <laughs> we have this podcast to talk about the most important thing and that's hunting so <laughs> we talked about knives we talked about government let's talk about something even cooler than government yeah. <laughs> nothing gets me going like talking about government man <laughs> no it has to be talked about kidding aside yeah. we need we want to keep it going like you said keep it moving not let people forget about it so anyways yeah. uh i'm gonna dive into a bit of hunting talk with you and i kind of know what you're passionate about but uh we'll kind of want to hear other sides too we'll get into the We'll get into the mounts hanging behind all three of us in a sec here. It sounds like we <laughs> looks like we have a similar passion, but uh, do you get out in the spring at all, or do you have to just work really hard and save your time for the fall? Um, general, uh, like generally, yeah, I would just kind of work right through. Last year, I went on a, a trip for a, a bear hunt, like spring bear hunt in the Alpine, and it really kind of started a fire that I never had before for those spring bears and it's really made me interested in it. Um, so this year's a little different with what's going on and we don't need to get down that rabbit hole either with travel restrictions and stuff like that because where I want to go is on the other side of a blockade. But um, I just drove through so there's no blockade. <laughs> there's not? No. <laughs> oh, well, me. Maybe they're still alive. I'm gonna go bear hunting then. But um, I don't know, man. I I came from the coast today, and I didn't. There was no blockade, so oh, I don't perfect. know. Who knows? Yeah, it's um, it, in general though. Yeah, I I try not to. I just really try and focus all my time for September. Um, like I said, I take most of my time off in September, and yeah, I, I like spring hunting. If a guy had a a couple million bucks in the bank and he wasn't worrying about anything else he could definitely take go after you know turkeys and bears and everything else like that but you got to prioritize i think especially us in here in bc frick you got a pocket full of tags of anything you can go after like you get overloaded sometimes where you got fucking 12 tags in your pocket and maybe you go after one because you're just like oh i'll go here for the weekend i'll go here but yeah it turns into chaos pretty quick so i try and just focus on fall and keep it there do you, uh, you put in for LEHs, obviously? Like, do yeah. I'm, I put in for fucking absolutely everything. Are you yeah. one of them guys? Or are you kind of pick and choose what you put in for? Um, I put in for everything just on the fact that I know I'm probably not going to draw a fuck all. So <laughs> I yeah. may as well put as many hands in the pot as possible. But uh, Moose isn't one that I ever put in for LEH. Everything else, so I, I definitely dump into um moose and deer don't interest me much i, I uh they're just never something that sparked it like uh, my my old man lived in tumbler ridge so drove the dawson creek tumbler ridge highway a lot back in the day when there was like lots of moose you count like 60 moose on the way to tumbler ridge and you just get numb to what a big moose is and then of course like being up in norman wells you see a 60 inch rack on the wall and it's just normal right like that's so you come down here and like 
a 40 inch moose people are just like hooting hollering over and it's just like <laughs> i don't know why i don't get excited for that but, <laughs> yeah yeah i see a little dink like freaking five inch billy goat i'm like oh yeah let's go right on <laughs> yeah yeah so i already know we've talked a bunch about elk hunting a little bit just sending pictures over instagram different things but before we dive into that big passion it, am i wrong that you've been on a few sheep hunts already and, and you've done a few backpack hunts like that or is it just something you're looking at doing i've done some backpack hunts before i, I haven't been on a sheep hunt with tagging my pocket like going for myself no I, I haven't i've done goat hunts and stuff like that but sheep is really just a, a rabbit hole that i've kind of avoided to be completely honest because um you know especially with this business and everything else i only have so much time and I really hate to catch that sheep bug and then I'm not shooting elk and, and I know I'd be uh, cringing at the end of the year when I only have a little bit of meat in the freezer instead of a couple hundred pounds. <laughs> it's yeah. a bug, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want it, don't go because yeah. once you go, you're fucking hooked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely something, like I said, I, I'm going to start getting into this year. This year's all about caribou for me. I want to nice. get it before anything might happen with uh, tags where they maybe shut it down. I definitely want to uh, to experience that first. And uh, once I get that caribou kind of off my bucket list and understand what those hunts look like, then I'm definitely going to be all out for stone sheep. Nice. That's sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we've beat around the bush long enough. So uh, if you haven't picked up on what I was saying there, Tanner, Sounds like he has the elk bug as much as most hunters in any region that you could hunt elk in, like BC, fuck them, Idaho boys, Montana, the Alberta guys, anyone you talk to, this man, a passionate elk hunter, we've that's a conversation you can sit down and have with, fuck, you talk each other's ears off. It's just about strategy and encounters, and 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 it's a reason fucking why, man, like. Kurt and I say like we caught the sheep bug it's just because of the adventure right now but it doesn't matter like we regret not being able to go to elk together I know I do uh mm -hmm. I miss the encounters Kurt and I have with that yes we're gonna go sheep hunting again this year and probably not gonna get to elk hunt again together but for you uh I'm assuming I know the answer to this but why don't you let us know uh are you heading farther north or are you staying around the PG area and is your strategy mainly call in yeah, I, I will not hunt elk around here. I have no intentions of it. I'm not going to. It's uh, there's just too low of a population from what I've seen to be out fighting over one bull with 12 other guys that know what they're doing. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I definitely go farther north. I think there's a large, very broad area north that has a lot of amazing elk elk country as long as you're willing to get off your ass and hike in there there's some great great out there and absolutely i think uh not so much on the bugle side but definitely lots of uh, vocalizations with cow calls and stuff like that is huge for elk hunting and and um i've really spent like kind of the last four years like digging into what elk talk actually is and like little nuances to their conversations and and her dynamics and stuff like that and then and like, I'm, I'm a pretty big nerd about it on like, you know, 
everything from moon cycles to weather to when they're in estrus and stuff like that to what you should be doing for calling i i kind of geek out about it and uh i definitely i I lean more towards cow calling for sure no i would don't it's not geeking out man that that's the shit fuck that man like i send kurt every year elk 101 posts their moon phase calendar i send it to kurt i'm like it's the weekend we're going kurt and i send fuck it's been five six years of sending podcast episodes and articles and this and what are we doing this year and fuck someone will have an idea and and we'll call each other and be like man that last time that we fucked that up it was because of this and what do you think about this for this and like fuck man we it it never ends it literally we Mm -hmm. like we got it figured out one day and the next day we change it again and that's what's exciting about it i mean i i love it now when you get up i've only been in the northern region last year hunting for sheep and we didn't get into any elk because we never had time and we never looked at it do you get the opportunity to spot and stalk in that country or is it still pretty dense yeah not where i hunt at all it's um like it's i think the farthest elk that i shot was 42 yards and then the closest was uh was two years ago and it was eight yards so it's um it's all close and personal there's no uh there's nothing really long going on. There's the odd time that, you know, you might, in the odd situation where you're looking at drainage, you might see, like, but, I mean, it's, like, bush moving, and you hear, like, bush moving and maybe some, like, raking and stuff like that, but that's about as far as it goes. I know there's some areas even farther north that you definitely get into that where you're hunting more of the, it's borderline sheep country, like the lower sheep country that you're getting into those areas that you can look out over elk. Um but where I hunt here is very, it's just the the rolling hills with drainages where it's thick, thick timber and marsh and diamond willow and the nastiest shit um, where two kilometers makes a big difference for the elk pressure. Yeah, yeah. well, and it's, I mean, it sounds exactly like, basically like trying to call elk in the West Cooley's just not, not with the marsh, like just that thick brush ridge scaped you just can't tell where an elk is one minute and then he bugles he sounds like he's 50 yards away and then you get over that ridge and dip into another hole and he sounds like he's 200 yards away and it's just that game of chase and do you have any uh have you had any cool close encounters that kind of caught you off guard or that just completely changed your whole strategy or something that you just were not expecting it and that's what i we usually see with elk is like calling them in like that you must have something that you've ran into um i I, man honestly i think every encounter just teaches you something and uh i i always kind of reflect back on like the first bull that i shot um or actually sorry that that i was on my buddy shot it but we got into an area that was just like a kind of hidden away hell hole freaking hot spot and uh my body shoots this elk and there was like freaking four bulls bugling in there it was like something you see on a primos video just like ideal perfect and like you're too young to understand how good it is but like <laughs> first raghorn comes in legal buddy shoots it boom right so it drops this thing and we're you know we do our celebration take some photos we're processing this thing and it's like elk are still calling and elk are still going off and then it's like next thing you know there's a freaking there's a six point bull that walks in on us and it's like what the hell and it's like 20 yards away and it's just like locked like staring at us but it doesn't spook it's you know it just kind of circles the, the edge of the meadow and then it catches wind and then it bolts right and it's it's 
encounters like that that you understand that there's so much more to this elk hunting and what's actually going on than just the scream on your freaking Primo's tube or whatever you're using, right? Scream on and something answers and you go running in that direction. There's so much more to it. And like, it really brought it in where like after that, so we had that encounter and then the next year we had a double header, like, but he shot same thing in the raghorn, which is his thing. And it's all good. It's <laughs> a raghorn and, and it's still like, it's, it's kind of doing its death kick and it's kind of everything like that. And we walk right over top of it and then have this other bull walk right in. Right. And I mean, it's, it's encounters like that, that every time it happens, you're like, okay, I understand a little bit more about this game. Right. Like, you guys are playing 3D chess, and I'm still just looking at the one board, right? So it's like, yeah. oh, no, there's a hell of a lot more going on here. I oh. definitely relate with the learning curve, man. Like, Devin and I had so many fucking crazy encounters with bulls that, and we just fucked them, straight up fucked them up. Like, yeah. just by not knowing, right? Knowing a little bit or making the wrong call at the wrong time. And then you get home and you're like, fuck we should have done this or should have done that. And, you know, or the next year you remember that and you kind of take that with you. And, you know, it's, it's and, definitely and no, 3d chess with those fucking things. And nothing, absolutely nothing will, will replace getting out there and just getting those encounters and just getting that behind it. Because it doesn't matter how much I freaking look at videos or watch videos or like yeah. make plans in my head and think I'm the super hunter I go out there and then I'll like do something that's so stupid. And then I'm like, like you said, I'm, I'm like dragging my ass back to the truck or wherever I'm going. I'm just like, I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you got to just, you got to get those reps under you and oh, just it's, understand. It's hundred percent. You got to fail. You have to. Yeah. You, if you want to be successful elk hunter consistently, not just successful. Mm -hmm. Like you, if you want to go out and kill one bull, well, it's everyone knows hunting. Sometimes mm -hmm. people get lucky. Sometimes you would drive down a road and there's a giant moose standing on the road and or there's yeah. a big buck standing right there. Or you come to the Kootenays, you jump off your quad, you let one bugle go and a bull comes out of the bottom of the slash because that was just where he was that day. Luck. And that happens. That's That shit happens. And, and people will do that every year. And that's great. But if you're trying to, you know, grab those encounters that we crave, like I fucking crave it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking about it while I'm sheep hunting. Like Kurt and yeah. I are driving back from a successful sheep hunt last year. And I'm like, should be like satisfied. And I was like, I'm not, like, I'm not saying I, that hunt wasn't amazing and I'm, we're doing it again. But we were literally talking on the way home to Quinnell, nine hour drive being like, oh, fuck elk season's in like a week. Like, yeah. like literally yeah. rubbing yeah. our hands being like, fuck yeah. Like let, we're going to start bugling. Like, it's wild exactly. and then those are the experiences you, you got to get out there and just do it and you i guess have to have the expectation to fail a little bit if you haven't done it very much exactly and and you know what you got to have a thick backbone and and have some thick skin and understand that you're gonna fail every year like you're gonna fail every year but if you stay determined about it you're, you're gonna capitalize on on opportunities that do come up because you know there there's a lot of years where I've messed shit up like two or three times and I'm like, oh no, I'm going home. I'm done with this. This is stupid. I hate hunting, right? And then it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, get your head straight, get back out there. And it's, it's like, if you do that, usually it's like the next day, next encounter, something like that, you're clear headed and you can capitalize on it. And just 
having some mental toughness to get through the shitty parts it's it's gonna make you a better person i think like it's um like this bull here it's uh that was that bull that i shot at eight yards and it was like yards yeah eight it was crazy it's uh so drove up to where i was going at like and got into there at like midnight got there after work this was before i was working for myself Got in there at like midnight, slept for like three, four hours, took off hiking and uh, bu- and got in on this bull and he had a herd with him and uh, he pushed his cows in and just did stupid shit and the cows busted me and they all took off and everything like that. And then some other satellite bull was going off, so I chased after him and it was too aggressive and the satellite bull pushed off and I, I remember sitting under a tree and it's like nine o'clock and I'm like, I don't know, eating a freaking granola bar or something like that. I'm just like, I this is a stupid trip. I shouldn't have came up here. Waste of time. I should have been working. What am I doing? Like, I just messed both of these opportunities up. And I was like, you can go right on the path and go home. Or it's like, uh, I'll just go back there and go check it out one more time. And, and I doubled back to where I busted this bull in his herd. And I, I went back there and it's looking around. And Cal called once and he screamed at like, 30 yards so i just like sprinted straight towards where i heard that noise from and i I ripped the bugle and i just set my bugle tube down and he bolted out and the only spot you could see between the double diamond willow was just one like the walking path is all it was it was like right there you could just see rock and freaking the nose coming through the bush and uh yeah i I remember like shooting and we dropped right there and i was just like you know so easily i could have turned around and just walked away and this day could have been so different but it's just having a little bit of mental toughness to just like, even if you're not having fun, just fucking keep moving one foot in front of the other and going towards the elk, you're going to do good, right? Yeah. So it's like, that was a big learning curve for me, man, was like that one encounter that was just like, huh, that, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Um, how, when did you start hunting elk? Um, like, were you successful right off the hop, or did it yeah, take a I while? I, I was pretty lucky again. Like, I, I've had a lot of a, a lot of nice breaks, a lot of shit that fell through pretty well. Um, the, the first time I shot an elk was, like, I pulled a youth tag, hadn't touched it, like, didn't even have anybody to hunt with. And my buddy's dad was like, oh, you got that youth tag, let's go out to this farmer's field and always have elk problems. We literally got out of the truck. I was like sipping hot chocolate or something like that and like walked over and there there's a herd of like 90 elk standing out in the front of this field and it was like okay lay down and like yeah choose what you want so I shot a bull like first time I went out and I was like fuck this is easy right on like why are these guys complaining about I was like freaking whatever like the minimum wage that you think I think I was like maybe 15 14 something like that so that's where it started for me was that and then basically and then it was like three pretty rough years of like dragging out through the bush and like not understanding at all what's going on. I'm like, it works so good the first time I don't understand, right? Like, um, but then it was, it, it got pretty good. Like once I understand like calling an elk and then just the big thing, like getting off the road and just like being stupid enough to go out into the bush and being willing to kick the shit out of your body, um, yeah, it was pretty successful. Like lots, lots of call-ins coming in, and and I think there's been a 
maybe two years that were like tough years and just one of the like one of those years where you're just having like 10 or 12 encounters and nothing goes the right direction wind just swaps or something like that i've had two years where i didn't take out on elk but other than that i've been i've been really fortunate man and i'm again it goes back to the same thing i'm hard-headed where i it's like day 25 and everybody's like oh, are you coming back to work what are you doing i'm like i need to shoot no i don't care like, <laughs> i need to shoot something um but yeah i've always I, i'm just i think i'm just too hard-headed to really give up on it that's awesome oh that's really good uh so you obviously you've failed you've had successes so that's good uh leads into my next question if you had to give just a few tips or a few things that you live and die by when you're chasing elk, like just stuff that you have to make sure you do. And for people that are looking, anyone out there that's listening to this and is like, yeah, I want to get better at hunting elk, like give them just a few pointers from your experiences that that you would say. Because <laughs> um, it's the failure ones that we want to hear. Like, what did you learn? Yeah, <laughs> I think slow down is a big one. Like for me, it's been like, and I have to repeat to myself every year, it's just to like slow down and not get caught up in the adrenaline that comes into it. Cause there's been, there's been a lot of situations where like a bull's coming in and you've done all the work, you've got the wind in your favor, you've done everything right. And it breaks down to that last hundred yards, 150 yards in the thick bush. And that bull is slowly coming in, like he's working his way in. And he's taking his time. Like he's got a herd sitting there. He's not going to rush into you for no reason. And like one situation I have in my head, in my head pretty uh, distinctively is like chased in on this bull and like followed him for probably three hours. He was just trailing his cows off and he would like do a lone bugle and we'd follow after him. And, and it finally broke it down to like where I was literally running to keep up with them. And then finally like get it to where, He's finally stopped. He's ready to fight and he's taking his time coming in and like just taking that second to take a breath and understand what's going on and understand that he is coming in. But instead what I do, what I did, cause I was so hopped up on adrenaline. So, and I imagine so many people have done is like, it's like, Oh, this is taking too long. And I just rip a bugle or something like that. And the next thing you know, it's just like the whole freaking everything goes silent. And then, you'll hear him like 300 yards off or 200 yards off in like 20 minutes. He bugles again. It's like, he was probably right there in that bush. And I was too fucking, I was too impatient to wait for him to breach his head around that. I had to go screaming on the bugle. And <laughs> yeah, so just, I don't know. I think a big thing is taking the time and just trying to like, you're doing all this You're taking all this effort in like the preseason um, and even the postseason to like understand elk and you're watching all these videos and you're being a nerd and the wife's getting mad at you because you're freaking bugling in the garage and all this stuff. Like, yep. like, like try and try and slow down when you're out there and appreciate it and not be so worried about getting it done on the first day that you can make the most of it because it, it's going to come together if you understand that stuff. But if you just rush into it with all your adrenaline, you're going to just get shit kicked and, and you and you wasted the preseason for nothing you should have been guardian with the wife or whatever you're doing <laughs> gardening <laughs> <laughs> and stay off the bugle tube that pit that that gets me so fired up 
these dudes that just are like they get out of the truck and they're just ripping on that fucking tube like crazy, trying to blow their read out. Like, just <laughs> calm down. Like, elk aren't doing that. They're, they're cow calling. Like, those bulls aren't just screaming all day long. That's not what they're doing. Like, Christ, lay off Some- that thing. Sometimes you got to buzz the tower a little bit. Yeah, Matt. we call it buzzing the tower. Eh? We, <laughs> dude, we get bored out there in the backcountry sometimes and fuck, you just buzz the tower. Just like Goose and Maverick. Yeah. That's one thing, but if your freaking pickup truck yeah. lights haven't even shut off oh, yet. No, no. Like, yeah. The best is when you're watching a truck from the bush and he pulls yeah. up to the road, winds the window down, rips three bugles, waits 30 seconds, and then drives away. <laughs> like, yeah. What the fuck did you expect to happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah i'm not lucky enough to have that work i don't know maybe some people are and that's where they learned it from but not me (laughs) no me either no we pack in it's our fucking the only way it works for us is if we get away from the road yeah and and i think elk are different like you guys chasing elk down in the south you probably have a different opinion on it but like when we're hitting the rut up here in the north like it's totally different like we're hitting the rut or, or late august They've yeah. hit that first rut already. Like, I don't know about you guys down there, but, like, I've always heard, oh, well, you know, they're not rutting until mid-September. And it's like, well, how is it that I'm going in on September 2nd and there's rubs everywhere? Then? What, are yeah. you, what are you telling me here? No, I, I don't agree with that completely if someone said that. But I do agree that your guys' rut's probably about a week ahead of ours if you were going to say, like, peak rut activity. I don't know, but just from what I've seen on posts, I guess, like when I see guys posting bulls from the north, it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. They're probably getting going a bit quicker. But no, we see rubs. Like these guys aren't scouting properly. Like our rubs, they same thing. End of August. Uh, I got trail cam video of bulls wallowing in late August, early September. Yeah. Um, I watch that moon phase. I really do. Yeah. I've had great bugling action. And same with Kurt down here first 10 days of september you usually get into something it's just not it's not sustained in that bow season because of the heat Mm -hmm. so you'll see it in the mornings you'll hear to the night you can locate them sometimes better but i've had some great encounters late september uh mid but it's good it ranges uh weather plays a big factor but i agree with your tactic of chasing the moon um, if you're looking yeah. for the call and encounters, if that's what you're really after, and obviously probably the easiest way to cut a tag on a six point is to try to call them in. It's especially mm-hmm. in our, it's, we're not Montana, Wyoming, where you can glass these bulls up. So it's, I think that's, that's why we're chasing elk also, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, if, if I didn't care about the calling, I go chase moose or even moose are calling. I go chase freaking sheep, right? Like, yeah. If sheep could bugle, everybody would forget about elk. I've said that oh, before. Yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. that before. That's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah, like it's – like we're doing it to have that bull screaming at you and pissed off and and that kind of thing going on. So f- that's a big thing for me. And, I mean, where it seems like a lot of like the education media is coming out of is like down south, right? Like, you know, Idaho, everywhere down there. And you got to think as you're going farther down south and – Every time you're going down um, towards the equator, there there ruts happening later and later and later because it's because of that temperature, like you yeah. said. So the big thing is like chasing weather. Also, I've had it before where it's like plus 25 September 1st, and they're not going to be as active as those days that you're getting snow September 1st. Like I've had those years where like it's it's dumping snow end of August 
and you go in there and, the, and there's just bulls ripping like crazy and other times it's windy and it's warm September 1st and it's just like frick it's a freaking peep show in here there's nothing going on like really watching that weather I think is a big thing definitely yeah and then there's tactics to hunting that warm weather too you just mm-hmm. for here like I don't know what you're like you're probably you don't get the north big slopes like we do like we'll we'll look for those pockets early September that are north facing but we we have big deep valleys and, and drainages here whereas like rolling country up in the north you might not get as many but you're still going to look for those shadier water filled pockets like that's just what you got to do they're still there they yeah that's exactly yeah. it and i mean and they're still fun to it like i've done that too where like it gets really warm or windy or something like that and just still hunting that bush like creeping through it taking a couple steps and like it sounds stupid but like you can only see 40 yards but taking your binos out and like scanning that 40 yards and looking for a tine or looking for an ear or something like that, walking a few more steps where you can see something different and looking again, because as much as we want that bugling experience, sometimes that's, you know, it's not the cards that were dealt. Like it's, um, they, they get fucking sneaky too. Like you see a big six point sneak right in and you don't hear a fucking thing until it's running away from you. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I mean, and, and our sight lines, like where, where I'm hunting here, like I said, you know, 45, 50 yards is pretty, that's like about as long as you're going to get unless you're looking down an old cut line or something like that. So, I mean, you can't just go ripping through the bush. And that goes back to the same thing about just slowing down, right? Where it's take your time and weave through there. Like, I, I don't I don't really understand it. These guys get, you know, maybe they only get a few days off from work and that's their whole trip for the whole year. And then they're just rushing through the bush, chasing themselves around and slow down, man. Like, yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Old dudes on quads going down fucking roads, bugling. <laughs> just ripping, eh? Fuck, that drives me fucking mental, man. <laughs> it's not like it used to be around here. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all hunted out. Yeah. They get off their bike to take a piss and that's about it. It's all hunted out. There's nothing here anymore. It's not like it used to be, man. <laughs> I well, hear that all the time. Yeah, that's, and that's then, weird. like, are, are oh. you guys down south, like, are you guys hunting, like, uh, drainages? Like, obviously, you don't want to give away all your guys' freaking playbook. No, but, I, right. mean, um, I mean, you have a tough like, time know, finding my spots. Don't worry. Yeah, I see up here. Like, hey, I mean, our spots, Dev. Our mine. spots. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like from, like, as far as you can go north, as far as you can go south of there's elk, it's like pretty common that you're looking for drainages or those north facing slopes and stuff like that. Is it the same down there or what's it like for you guys? Yeah, it's that's like my biggest thing is to learn right now is like I feel like we've gotten better at calling and gotten better at kind of like you said, learning how elk behave, locating good populations of elk is like our biggest challenge. We have this such a dense bush like east kootenays is a bit different i haven't hunted elk over in the east yet a lot more open terrain harder to find larger bulls that are legal because there's you can kind of find elk better there but as far as where you kind of strategize for the west kootenays is like time of year where the how the summer's been droughted wise so water um, looking for wallows getting off the roads and following those creeks like if someone was trying to you know pick a 
you know, a strategy. Okay, I'm gonna go to the West Kootenays this year, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to hunt elk. I mean, I would recommend, yeah, finding the water first, and going in and seeing if you can find activity around that mm-hmm. water and those wallows and those. What we've found, Kurt and I, in the past, uh, just from the years of being unsuccessful, is walking in that backcountry, and when you find the water and the benches with the water on it, that's when you start to pick up that elk activity. And linking it to the characteristics of that terrain takes more experience with the terrain than most people will have. Like I can mm-hmm. do it because I get to go in the backcountry in 10 minutes and it's easy from my house. But so that would be my suggestion. And then just kind of maybe looking for a little bit of benchy country. Like if you're going to use scouting and e-scouting before you head into these areas, like have a few drainages and water sources and somewhat flat areas because you can like well you said it you came down to the Salmo Castle area oh there's plan a and then you walked 500 yards into the bush and were cliffed out and you're like where the fuck yeah. did that come from yeah. so using your yeah. maps and, and figuring that out would be a big big suggestion of mine yeah, yeah i think i think that maps the big one and not just like you know birds eye view i really think that does you no good like you have to see like you guys use that fat maps and stuff where you yeah. can see actual topography of it and see the elevation changes and stuff and i mean and even that it only goes so far where like there's been a lot of spots where we've cornered bulls in and we're like okay this bull's like 50 60 yards away we've got between him and his herd we know he's going to come in and you're playing it and it's like well what's he doing? Like he, he's skirting upwind, which doesn't make any sense. Cause you know, they always want to go downwind. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden he's gone and you go walk towards where he was. And there's a freaking wall, a diamond willow. You couldn't push a pin needle through. And it's like, Oh, like I didn't see that from my maps. Right. So yeah. I mean, yeah, Even... there's only so much maps can do also, but definitely that having that 3d topography view where you can look at and see different cliffs and stuff like that is pretty vital regardless of where you are boots on the nothing beats boots on the fucking ground like you can do all your e-scouting you want but even where Devin and i go like every year we would just push deeper deeper understand the lay of the land a little bit more and Mm -hmm. then once you figure that out then it's playing the fucking wind because like, I don't know where you're at, but where we go, like, we're up in the rocks, we're close to Alpine, and those bulls hang in those bulls, and the wind just swirls all fucking day long. Yeah. Like, you you have it, the wind just perfect, you get in there, stock, you know, you know he's within 50 yards, and then you feel that wind hit the back of your ears, and then, you know, he's yeah. fucking long gone, and it's taken a lot of years and a lot of fucking, a lot of miles of fucking around coming up with fucking long faces to... <laughs> finally figure out how to play the wind properly in some in some of those situations where those bulls were at you're not you're never going to get to them like they and they don't move they know they're safe in that spot and they just fucking hang up and you know they make you go to them so then you try to sneak closer and you're going up and down trying to play that wind and sooner or later you get busted yeah yeah and i think that understanding that you're going to fail a lot of the times too is very great like i mean it's and, and and that makes me laugh about like scent management. You always hear that. Like, what are you using for scent management? I won't wear deodorant in the backcountry. I won't do this. Dude, if the wind's blowing straight towards them, it doesn't matter, no. right? And I've showered in elk way. piss and it don't make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We used to do it all. We used to wear that. We used to spray ourselves with the checker. We used to 
Fuck, yeah. Kurt and I debated buying one of those Ozonics one year. They came out yeah. with that Ozonics portable one. And we're like, man, yeah. you can't beat the fucking wind. It just, you can't. Yeah. You gotta do you play it. Me- do you guys ever mess with tree stands or anything like down there? I hunt with tree stands all the time. Yeah? And I've, like, my elk spot north of Quinnell here, it's, it, like you said, you don't hunt Prince George because you're crawling with people and low numbers elk. Same thing around here, right? And you know, I've had tree stand encounters. I've had bulls come running right underneath the tree stand. You know, five by fives, and you're looking down, trying to make six on them, and you're like, "Fuck!" Yeah. I could jump on this thing's back. But then, like, I like it. You got to find a nice meadow where you can actually see a little bit, oh, okay. and it gets you up off the ground. I notice, like, yeah, you can see a bull probably a hundred yards away, where if you're on the ground, you can't see it with that buck brush and alder. So yeah. I really like tree stands, but you're sacrificed to whatever way the wind's blowing and yeah. you know are you, if still, a bull... are you still doing any calling when you're up there yeah, oh yeah yeah it depends yeah. on the situation like you know if i'm first light i'll i'll let a locator go see if anything's yeah. close anything's around that bull that came right under the tree stand that one day it was like still dark i let a cow call out he fucking screamed and ran straight in and I was watching him as the sun came up, looking right down through my tree stand at this fucking five by five. Yeah. And, you know, it was just as simple as a hoochie mama. And he just come in full <laughs> tilt. And I was yeah. like, fuck, cool, right? And then I've had other bulls where they just skirt the perimeter. And you'll see, maybe see a tip of an antler, but you can't see the body. And you're sure as hell ain't going to be able to count six on in situations like that, right? So yeah, I've had, I've. I've never killed an elk out of a tree stem, but I've had lots of encounters for sure. Well, that's cool. I can't. You're limited, so. Yeah. There'd be a right application for it. Um, I have a buddy's place. He's got some private land that I would consider doing it. But even then, we've even patterned those bulls and those elk. And we're like, oh, they always use this game trail when they go back to crown land. They always do this. And. We've tried to sit on them and just, you just can't pattern them. It's just, they don't do it every day. Like, so mm-hmm. for me, it goes back to like the encounters, what we crave as elk hunters and that kind of thing. So I can't sit that long. I want to call, yeah. find them, move to the next ridge, call, locate, play that game. I've found that's the the better strategy. There would definitely be opportunities for it like kurt says he's got a couple spots that he's used that it works well in but down here in this country like this terrain west kootenays i I wouldn't recommend planning on sitting for too long yeah how this is just a question for like people that maybe are just getting into or something like that like are do you guys have a source of media that you think is more applicable for up here in the northern country because like the truth is that like our well we're hunting up here and i think up here in the north and even you guys down there which we call south but i mean it's still super far north compared to most people is i think our terrain's so different than most of the media um that's out there puts puts it out for like tactics and everything like that do you guys have a source that you think is better than or better for us up here in the north yeah it's kind of it's tricky i agree like i've talked to a lot of canadians and bc guys trying to find the most applicable elk hunting content and education. So like, I'm sure you've been down this rabbit hole watching elk 101 
Corey Jacobson, figuring those guys out. He's great. He's they do good stuff, and and Idaho looks like an amazing place to hunt with zero fucking brush around its trees and zero fucking like he hunts public land. Like it's yeah. like man, I it's like dream fucking country to hunt in. Yeah. But no, like as far as like straight up applicable to BC, the biggest thing would you'd have to cherry pick elk uh, mannerisms and just their natural stuff so anything those guys talk like we kurt and i follow you know elk 101 uh paul mandel from elk nut we phelps will listen to i mean i the list goes on i think everyone who's passionate about elk hunting will listen to all these guys and dive on even you know talking to gritty what he thinks and you hear aaron schneider talking about it and who's right and who's wrong i think the biggest thing we have to take away like you said for our terrain is finding which what they say about elk habits and those kind of things and that social behavior of elk mm -hmm. and try to apply it to our landscape because a lot of their tactics yeah they go in one ear and out the fucking other because you're like well that wouldn't work here can't do that yeah. here I, we don't even have a late season rifle hunt so why am i listening to a podcast about fucking november rifle hunts for fucking <laughs> winter range elk you know like 100 yeah. percent no, yeah. I, I think I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, mannerisms, they're going to be the same regardless of where those elk were located, right? Um, I know, like, uh, row hunting resources, that he breaks it down. Chris Rowe breaks it down on his website about, like, he has video watching herds and, yeah. like, uninterrupted what they're actually doing and how they're talking and everything like that. And I know that was a huge game changer for me, being able to actually physically watch those cows and, like, you know, what I normally would have thought of as like a bugle and stuff like that, but it's just a cow screaming, right? And stuff like that. It's just like, oh, I had no idea. I'm sitting there screaming at this cow thinking that I want to fight it. And the cow's like, what are you doing, right? Like it's um, – it's, yeah. That's actually interesting you mentioned Roe. I've never actually heard of Roe. And today when I was out bear hunting with my partner down here, he says, you got to check out this – I think it's Chris Roe. Uh, yeah. he's got a bunch of stuff out there and it's very, very good content. Like you said, behavior, habitat, all this stuff. And I was like, Oh no, I never heard of him. So that's, I'll have to check it out for sure. I haven't, uh, gone down that hole yet. It's been one of the most beneficial for me for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then like for you guys down there, like what, what, what distance are you guys looking at that you're targeting bulls down there? Like from like where you can get a quad, let's say, or like you'd say a road but like where you can get a quad into like what mileage would we go in to pack one out yeah like uh, honestly you know we we all say oh yeah i'll go in 10k but i know well, i'm not going in fucking 10k after a bull yeah kurt and i've done a few backpack trips and in, into the same drainages uh we could pick a couple from our spot we get the quad in and then the minimum that we figure we're probably gonna be successful like when we need to get over a ridge and into the the nice drainage where the water is i think is about three kilometers from the quad yeah. and then yeah. we've walked in and we're willing because the bull sounded tempting enough to do it i would say <laughs> 10 to 12 kilometers from the quad yeah so, that's a far kick oh yeah uh, we didn't we, know what we were yeah <laughs> we were basically exploring at that point wherever it's like it was like my last day. Okay, let's just go fucking go for the stars, right? We're just going to run in this valley and go until we find bulls. And we were at the other fucking end of the valley. And we were, were we having, I don't know what we were doing, but. Having a nap. 
having a nap. <laughs> let, a, sleep. let a cow call out and the fucking raspiest bull that I've ever fucking heard in my life just let a ripper go right below yeah. us. And we're like, holy fuck, like this thing's a tank. And it sounded yeah. like a D8 going through the fucking bush when he was raking trees. We're like, <laughs> oh man, like my heart was in my throat. And yeah. if we would have, we'd still be there if we would have got that bull. Like it, <laughs> it was fucking, dude, I'm telling you, it was fucking, uh, it was hell getting back with empty packs. I couldn't imagine yeah. making two trips each back into that fucking hole. <laughs> yeah, and it, that was like, so like the last two pack outs that we've done down here, Kurtz was in that three to four kilometer range. And then mine was coming out of the same bowl this last season. And it was similar. So right in mm-hmm. that range, but it was, you know, we put the bowl down at, I think I got, we got up to him around 10 30 in the morning and got back to the quad at about nine 30 at night. So yeah, it's a whole day affair, man. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Two guys. That's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I, I usually hunt solo. And like when I go in, I start hunting that kind of two kilometer range, like you said. That's where I'm starting to slow down and pay attention to stuff. And but I mean, it it will be all day, and you have to freaking understand that it's going to be all day, and then a, sometimes a bit of the next day too, right? Like it's yeah. it can get pretty nasty. And I don't know, I don't know if you guys depot in your quarters and stuff like that, but it's um that's a big thing too that I try to explain. It's like deep bone in that quarter you've got a lot of weight of bone in that in that hind quarter and stuff like that yeah we uh fuck i've done it every which way now uh fully deboned which is a bit of a dick just to do keep everything clean was the big problem uh last two or three trips we've done bone in on the hind leg we find that's a good way to do that. Drop that right in a game bag and then debone everything else and then yeah. have like a meat bag. So that's yeah. what I've settled on. Uh, I don't know if I'd change it now. I like the structure of that hind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My bull this year, I, we ended up keeping, like we deboned the torso and we made two trips each and we had the front quarters and the hind quarters bone in. And... You know, it wasn't, we weren't, it wasn't a far pack. It was, fuck, maybe less than a kilometer, probably like 800 yards, something like that. Like not too bad. So that was, I mean, fuck, if we really wanted to, we probably could have got the quad to it. Yeah. But I shot it that night, went back the next day, followed blood till midnight, went back the next morning and found it and then just bucked it up and packed it out. But yeah, if you're going, if you're going to make one trip out, then definitely the hindquarter leave that on the bone and then just fill your fucking back. <laughs> yeah. But Absolutely. It's not going to be enjoyable any which way you, you fucking plan to do it. So <laughs> no, definitely not. What, no, uh, what kind of pack do you run Tanner? Uh, Kafaru. Yeah. I've been running them for a while and <clears throat> I ran them actually for like post-military stuff. And, uh, that's how I got into them kind of when they were quite a bit smaller than they are now. But, yeah, it's. I feel pretty, pretty strongly about their their gear, and I, I like the U.S. made stuff in there. I mean, everything's gonna suck at a hundred pounds in there. Doesn't matter what you have on; it's all gonna suck, right? So I mean, yeah. it's. Uh, I just want something that's gonna suck a little bit less, I guess. Yeah, that's a good but, way yeah. to put it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a real. This, can this suck a little bit less than fully sucking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. or at least. 
when it sucks and it breaks, I have it covered, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of great pack manufacturers out there now. Like, I mean, people aren't competing. You can't be competitive if you're making crap, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of Instagram, Instagram hoes just fucking pushing products out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Well, but, uh, I kind of think we got to wrap her up here a bit on the hunting. Uh, if uh, one thing I think we should mention to anyone listening is Tanner's got a, a great website. His Instagram page is awesome to follow. You don't have to be a hunter to follow Frontiersman Gear on Instagram. His content's wicked. I mean, you do, I mean, go back to that a little bit. You do like kitchen knives and, and butchering type knives too. Is that correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, yeah. Actually, I'd say probably sixty percent of what we do now is kitchen knives. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. Um, right now, obviously, with customs, it's all the stuff pre-season, all the hunting knives and stuff like that. But then, um, yeah, it's actually I I like that side a lot. Also, I get to be a lot more creative with it as a maker to kind of uh, work some little tricks with uh, kitchen knives because there's so much to it. But no, it's definitely it's. Um, there's, uh, with the knife side, you can go down any avenue. There's, you know, everything from, you make diving knives, you've got military knives, you've got, uh, you know, blades, blades for people in the kitchen and people that are forging mushrooms. You know, it's every side you're going to need a knife. And then so. pretty soon you're going to have a, a come out heavy edition machete. I thought I heard in the works. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey man, I'm up for it. We were talking about it for sure. Yeah. Hey, skeletonized yeah. machete. We need our fucking backpack machete. It's our go-to. Yeah. Come out heavy down it. For there sure. you go. Yeah. Yeah. You guys need a logo, and then we'll just put a logo in that blade there. Yeah. And, there you go. Uh, Elkhorn on the handle. Be good. Oh, of course. Fuck yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we'll get you. We'll get you a logo if you'll build it for us. We'll fucking finally get our ass off the couch and build a logo for this shit show. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be good. That's up your alley, Dev. You're pretty artsy like that. Yeah, I like to just. Prancing get away around. with my drawings yeah <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> sip some tea and draw eh? yeah, yeah. But, yeah right up your alley yeah. <laughs> oh yeah right on uh yeah i mean yeah. check tanner out frontiersmangear.ca and follow him on all social media accounts and tanner man this has been a fucking pleasure maybe one of my favorite episodes to date so far it's been excellent talking to you and we would love to have you on again and talk about some fucking successful hunts you go through this fall absolutely no i i appreciate that i really appreciate you guys having me on it's um yeah it's nice to see more uh small base canadian stuff getting out there right and i mean to see a couple straightforward dudes getting after it and really putting their fucking time in and uh not spending all their time on instagram like i said promoting bullshit is pretty nice it's good. It's really nice. That's the nice thing about having no sponsors is that you can just do whatever the fuck you want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. You good shit. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, dude. Take care. Yeah.